Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Meet the Mancunian podcast, season three. I'm Deepa Thomas Sutcliffe, host of the Meet the Mancunian podcast, which introduces listeners to inspirational Mancunians making a difference in the local community. Whether they run a charity or a social enterprise, volunteer or coach others, host a community or go it alone, all my guests have fascinating stories to tell. Sit back, relax and listen in to Season 3 of the Meet the Mancunian. Tune in to your favourite podcasting platforms every Tuesday. Passionate about supporting women changemakers? We hear from Nikela Talkington, co-founder of Flourish in this episode. I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Nikaela Talkington, co-founder of Flourish Together. Thank you, Nikaela, for joining me today. My pleasure. So, Nikaela, tell us about your, how you found your passion for social enterprises. Oh, my. <laughs> passion for social enterprises. It's happened such a long time ago. Um, I think I definitely had a passion for justice and social change and um, supporting people from probably from being a child but I don't think you really notice that until I was always um, a doer I was never I was never on the soapbox nobody would particularly describe me as a, a feminist from a young age or anything like that but I'm, I'm organized I get things done and I think when you can do that you stand out because whilst other people are still thinking about it you've already done it um, and so in the social enterprise world, a lot of social entrepreneurs, change makers, people trying to create change for the better, um, you know, they 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 spot injustice, they want to make change, and they, you know, try to find ways to to make things better. And so, those are the sort of the principles, I guess, that sort of led me down this track. I think in terms of um, how it came together, it's only when I look back. I've been on, you know. I've been on various leadership programs from time to time, and they was great for giving you an opportunity to reflect. So things like I don't know common purpose. There was an, there was a program called Lead, Lead Manchester, Lead Cheshire. Um, I worked for an organisation called Unlimited for a long time, which was a, it's a very experiential sort of learning and got a good learning culture as a national organisation. And so I got I got the luxury of having a lot of time to think about where has this come from, and I know it was always there, but it ultimately, there's I, I, definitely that day where I, the story I tell when I'm p- present or I'm, I'm in places and if people are listening and they've heard me talk before, they'll hear me give the, the tale about how I, I just realised that, you know, the particular role that I was in at the time, I got sick of lining my boss's pockets to buy another Audi TT and another holiday home in Dubai and 
it, the, the work wasn't particularly fulfilling. I had this kind of epiphany <laughs> and um, I ended up working in the charity sector. So I guess there's a, there's a few strands that were in my, my nature that came to a, you know, to, to, together. And then this having worked, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a great company. I was very starstruck. It was a wonderful opportunity coming out of university as a, a product and furniture designer. You know, I had a great first graduate job and that first job was fab, but I quickly realized it wasn't for me. By the time I was 22, I was getting my hands dirty, cleaning carpets in a, in a brand new, um, national charity that was forming um, called Unlimited and it didn't exist and I'm very good at making the impossible happen and I think you know that's that's where it that's where it all began really it, it was a job that didn't exist sorting out the admin and logistics for a brand new charity and I couldn't wait to get my hands dirty and, and learn about what what the hell's the charity sector I'd never heard of it you know what is what was that where could it lead me and although I can you know, I could have probably set up the office and done all the admin work with my eyes shut. That was my, that's what I told myself. And that's what I managed to do. It gave me um, a training ground to learn about the charity sector, about how you can use enterprise for social good. And um, the charity sector is a wonderful place to create a career. You know, the, the I found that and I still tell people that now, you know, if you're struggling with the private sector, if you're struggling with the public sector, the charity sector might be for you to help you unlock your potential create change whilst make a difference so that's that's me and that's kind of a bit of the journey I've been on and that's what we now kind of cascade and um, empower and instill in others now through Flourish Together to grow their economic independence to create social change to lobby for what they need or change what they want to to see improved this is amazing so tell us about how we started Flourish Together I've worked in and out of um, Unlimited uh, for a number of times in different initiatives. I'd actually come out when I had my son and help, you know, I got into a different business that was all about enterprise and mental health. Um, so I guess I'd worked in the national charity sector. I'd worked a little bit in the local charity sector. I'd worked in, um, I'd set up a number of social enterprises that were all about enterprise and mental health. And I was, I'd learned how you can build supply chains and social, social enterprise and voluntary and charity trading arms, I guess, in terms of a different way of, 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 of making sure that these non-profits earned money and were part of a serious um, supply chains that any sector would need. There, there's, a, there's a few things that came to a head. So after having had this sort of national and local charity experience and large scale sort of charitable experience, coupled with localized experience and some sector specific stuff I'd probably set up about five social enterprises physically and operationally at this point and I'd helped over 2,000 people set up social ventures I'd gone back to, I'd gone back to Unlimited and we'd run this amazing program working with 90 universities to get them to think differently about entrepreneurship and social innovation and social leadership and I realized from the stats I already knew that Unlimited was was working with about, just about about 50% wow. of the people that had the cash awards and support from them were women and which were, which I knew was unusual because I know that in mainstream business support and certain other startup grants certainly in the last 15 20 years plus less women have have accessed that money and even in the worlds of social investment and venture capitalist stuff women are underrepresented and there are shocking statistics about how men get 
the, the lion's share of, of this money, even when people are pitching the same concept. There's, there's research into all this. So all of these sort of factors, um, knowing that there were lots of women out there that were accessing this support and we knew how to get there. Seeing that the university sector actually, and who we were working with at that time, were, I was actually working with more women than men for the first time. And that was an, an eye-opener to me. And it was actually my colleagues at the time who convinced me this would be a good idea and I'd gone and worked for a women's organization in Liverpool called Blackburn House I, I'd I'd been gifted the opportunity to be to set up a to to, pe- to play with Department of Health money and set up this health spa and well-being center it was a, I think it's the the first social enterprise health spa and well-being center in the northwest that I'd, I'd come across um and under Claire Dove um, and Joe McGrath, who, who I work alongside, who became my business partner for Flourish, that we set this up together. Um, I set up this health spa and wellbeing centre. And I'd never worked with just women. I'd, well, I had. I'd worked in retail with just women. But it was an eye-opener. Working for Blackburn House was an eye-opener. Um, it was an alternative education centre for mainly women, um, where the delights of, you know, um, various parts of the community um this you know people who have privilege people who don't come together for all sorts of things at Blackburn House was, was, was quite an eye-opener and then having then gone away and worked with the universities and seen staff students graduates and you know over 50 percent of the support and the cash awards going to women when that some of that program started to wrap up and we created an opportunity with our colleagues to say you know, this was this is what I met, talked about the learning culture. With the, the beauty of that organisation at the time is knowing these funded programmes come to an end. We sat there having an away day, thinking, "What on earth are we going to do next?" And we designed our own um, away day, basically, <clears throat> to help colleagues figure out what they didn't know. Kind of open that Jahari window, as they say, and trying to work out what you weren't aware of. And we 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 created these exercises where colleagues. T- told us you know we had some questions where where should where would we be now if we weren't here and you know to try to open our thinking but one of the questions that we a- we tried to answer for each other was if I wasn't doing this job what would you see me doing and it was quite weird out of out of six or seven colleagues um half of them we, we had like these secret envelopes <laughs> where yeah, yeah there were maybe six questions that we set each other and we were sat writing what we thought the answers were for these questions and this question around if I wasn't doing this job right now, if I hadn't run this programme, what what do you see me doing? What what should I be doing? And half of my colleagues said, you should be running a women's organisation. And I was like, what? Don't, well, I didn't say don't be ridiculous, but I'd never thought of it. So I'm, I, that's my nature as well. I'm quite up for going where the wind takes me. <laughs> you know, I'm quite happy for that. Um, and I think a combination of um, having had these experiences through my career, combination of other other colleagues telling me in unison maybe you should do this and at the time another part of my story really you know I'd had this marriage breakdown I was bringing up a four-year-old on my own um I think there were two or three years gone by at this point when I was like juggling all this stressful quite hard going work that I loved and juggling single motherhood the 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 thought of um setting up an organization that could support women um it all it, it you know it all came together and so i knew that um without the without the education that i'd had without um you know the the support networks and family support that i'd had and without you know having 
being able to get on the property ladder at a young age because I, I took a risk and my parents gave me three grand and I bought a, a dodgy terrace house in the deepest, darkest Blackburn. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was a fantastic opportunity for me and it's an opportunity that, that frustrates me that that can't happen now or I don't know how we get back to those days. Certainly um, having those opportunities definitely with a catalyst um to want to support women to lead change they see needed to want to help them build their economic independence and um looking back then clearly i was i was um motivated to do this my co-founder joe mcgrath who'd worked with me at blackburn house was a great co-founder to evolve this we worked very hard together we worked very uh, collaboratively um and in tandem uh, for the last sort of eight years, she's only just recently stepped down, partly um, out of circumstance and partly, you know, um, to 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 challenge yourself in new ways. But um, they're sort of in support. Um, these these factors that um, made it all possible have helped create a, a fantastic organisation that's supported over a thousand women now, and we work with all sorts of public sector, a few private sector partners and, and other social entrepreneurs to um, help hundreds of people every year um, take the kinds of risks they don't believe are possible and um, make a difference and earn a living and create social change. That's amazing. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. I do have a question. So were there some significant challenges that you faced along this journey of yours? Yeah, well, interestingly, yesterday, you know, we, we, run, we were running a session around income generation and one of the biggest fears and one of the biggest challenges is is holding your nerve and, and making it work financially. And what I already knew and I had to kind of put into practice, um, I think I probably tried to do something a couple of times and, and um, I won't go as far as to say failed because it's all part of learning. And But I developed this thing called the sounding board network which was a kind of precursor to this. The sounding board sessions are a tool and a kind of service that we offer now, but I wanted to develop this thing called the sounding board network, and but I couldn't see how to make it financially viable. Um, the, the model worked, my networks would come together and support these events and these sessions, but I couldn't see, I'm like, well, how am I going to make this financially work? And, and I did get paid to do bits, but it wasn't going to be a permanent day-to-day thing. So I think in order to come over the challenges of, how am I going to make a living out of this? I've had to um, test test and pilot. We've probably spent, Joe and I, uh, a good two or three years piloting what worked and testing what worked. And so we grew our organisation very organically. We built a lot of trust. We built a lot of um, respect with people at various levels and layers. And, and that stuck with us, really. Um, and people have seen that we're not just we're not just in it for the money, you know. We're in it for the change, and we're in it for the long haul. So many characters in the charity sector leap from these different roles, you know, and they have to, you know, that's their thing. Or certain organisations will only do what they're funded to do. We've never been like that. We know we listen to what the community needs, and we try to provide that, and and we try to provide a consistent core of something that we know the community wants and bolt on all this other stuff that we know we can get paid for. So I guess that, you know, the challenge of making the, the business model work is something that we've worked very hard to, to do. And I think it took us a good three or four years to figure out what our business model was. And then we're now what 
we're good eight years old now and I'm you know I'm proud to say that um we've made a profit year on year you know small profits but we've, we've not made a loss you know we're a profit making non-profit and we we need to do that there's no point being a non-profit if you can't put your profits back and create profits you know to put back in the community and over the last um eight years or so we've in addition to covering our overheads washing our faces um you know being paid for what we do for the last you know five years plus consistently we've um invested getting on for thirty five thousand pounds in in women in seed funding um so you know I think if you set yourself a goal, if you know we have to make this profit because we want to invest it in people, if the profit doesn't exist, we can't do a big part of what we planned. That keeps us motivated. You know, we might not be motivated. I mean, I mean don't get me wrong, we've got to keep a roof over our head. Knowing that we, the big part of what we're trying to do at Flourish, that challenge for me is even, to, you know, even more so today, I watch the news tonight, economic crisis stuff, you're listening to a principal in a college in Manchester saying, just you know 12 kids in every 30 are living below the poverty line which is just makes my blood boil and makes me very upset how how on earth do we help help families and women get out of that poverty trap get out of the benefits trap and you know there's a long way to go but I know through the programs that we've been running through COVID and in the last two or three years um the stats on the numbers of women that we've supported to get back to work to get to set up their own social ventures is is high um and and the women that we're working with you know um 40 percent um yeah, said that they'd have got mental health issues at the start of the program 50 percent were unemployed at the time of coming to work with us and um you know well over 50 percent are in work or setting up their own venture by the end of the program so it's these sorts of you know it's a challenge knowing if you're making a difference and I think because we're social value specialists we've been able to put methods in place to know we are making a difference and know where we could do better um I'm training other people that we work with to know they're making that difference partly so they can sleep at night partly so they can adapt what they're doing and partly to build a case to argue for where that budget and that money and those funds need to be drawn into to what they're doing to help them grow and sustain what they do. That's amazing. You're answering a lot of my questions. So I'm not asking. I was going to ask what impact have you made, but you've talked about that. You've- oh, I could talk about that for. I think that you know, it's it's you know, the women that we work with are, are the impact, and they you know they inspire us day in day out. That's why it's just a joy um, doing what we do. Don't you know? It's pretty hard, and it's gotten harder. And I think when we first started doing this, we just saw ourselves as we were, we were enterprise support, you know, we were just infrastructure, social enterprise support. And what we've realised through measuring our impact and what we've realised through trying to understand what are the barriers for women who've got these great ideas. Women make brilliant leaders. They make brilliant entrepreneurs. What holds them back? And we've been researching and looking at this for, for a long time. Um, and so rather than just be, be an enterprise provider or enterprise support provider or economic development people, um, we're really trying to support people who wouldn't otherwise get there to do this and to create that change and to earn living in new, and living in new ways and to, to lift them out of hardship. And um, so things like um, we realise that most of the women or a lot of the women we work with are going through some sort of identity change, actually, either because of what setbacks they faced or because of where they're at in their life when they come to us or how they're not being taken seriously, whatever, at home, at work, with their health, 
all sorts of every every different kind of reason we've had to really help women re-engineer themselves and that's you know there's not a course for that we've had (laughs) we've had to evolve these and, and we know we've got some magic as to how to do that now um we've had to help women to um learn about um business acumen and stop being their own worst enemy sometimes and um you know take control and lead and um know that it's okay to charge for what they're doing and, and value their time and their worth and stuff so that all takes time um and um some people get that straight away some people that takes years some people never going to quite feel comfortable with that and we really have to talk to them in a way that's going to get them to see why that's so important and then um the last quick thing I would say on that is you know you can look at people's um setbacks and identity to overcome certain things to be the women change maker they want to be you can look at the business and sustainability angles and the leadership and innovation angles around where they want to go what they want to do but where we've come to currently is realizing partly through covid and partly through these programs we've been running the last few years we've really been watching and listening what where do women get there quickest and where are women not getting there when they really should it's very clear to us when we work with 30 women on a program the ones that they're through the door and they're off and they're running within six to nine months and where are the ones that aren't and you could you could peel back various layers of an onion you know, mental health, financial resilience and um, housing situation are ultimately what is stopping people. Everything else, you can fix some of the other stuff. Those three things that are much harder to, to support with. And so, you know, we've ended up building in support around mental health and counselling and life coaching and other things to help around some of that. We've worked with hundreds of women working in health and wellbeing businesses. So we've got them at our fingertips now to to support people. But um, looking at housing and finance security is something that's um, a, a big goal. That's our new impact, if you will. We're not there yet, but we there's these other building blocks and pieces of the jigsaw that we've learned and that we do alongside what we thought we'd ever be doing um, to help women lead that change and, and make that difference. But if we can help women um, have you know, personal equilibrium, financially, emotionally, and in the housing situation, so many more women would be able to lead that change that they want to. And that's our, that's our next goal. That is very interesting. So Bodicity, resilience and confidence probably are two parts of the success factors maybe that comes in because, you know, that gives you that stability and your energies are then spent on the right things rather than on, uh, you know, survival. Absolutely. But what we're finding is housing, how people, what, the, the, where people live, um, their, their financial ability to keep a roof over their head and, you know, whether they're living in social housing, private housing, whether they own their own home, all of these things make a big difference. And, you know, we want women to be able to have that equilibrium in their lives for themselves and for their families so that they can build a base on which to not be held back when, you know, so many women are they'll keep volunteering or they'll keep on universal credit or they'll keep on whatever it is. They're trapped in a housing situation that's just chronic for them. Um, you know, we want to try and help them think through how to get around some of these barriers so that they can be the entrepreneurs and the social entrepreneurs that they, that they should be. Um, and that's what we've been working on in, in recent yeah. times and we'll continue to, sort of, you know, over the that is years. fascinating. Um, what advice would you have for people looking to start a similar movement in another part of the world? We've got listeners now from 35 countries. 
fantastic and um, I think they're probably already doing it and they're probably doing it better than we are you know well my from what I've learned over the years I've, I have done a little bit of traveling um I've had the you know good fortune to travel through um to India um I've done programs and design programs that have happened out in um, Thailand um, and had some insight into into the world of Thailand I've had a little bits of insight into um different parts of Europe and Eastern Europe bits of America um and uh, little bits of Africa but not enough I'd like to, to do more but because I'm I'm you know I've been watching what other parts of the world do and particularly women's movements and women's groups do um I think we've got a lot to learn from how women in other parts of the world already do this that would be my my uh, thing and if people are wanting to do this don't don't look to the UK or America <laughs> because the models of operating and where the resources come from and the challenges the day-to-day challenges and the scale of challenge um, are all very different that's what I've learned from my time spent in, in India in particular other countries um I know when I've worked with people um, in India before, they've said that um, European models and European networks are quite can be quite helpful. There's things to learn there. Sometimes the American models um, can be just a little bit too far detached or removed or base themselves heavily on philanthropic thinking as opposed to entrepreneurial thinking. So I think depends what people are wanting to do, doesn't it? If, I think um, there's so much social enterprise activity, be that through individuals be that through communities be that through cooperatives be that through um purpose-led businesses that are now doing things differently be that through ethical tech i think depending on what people's knowledge and and passion is getting really into the detail a little bit of what you want to learn um you know grant if you know granulating down into what you you want to know perhaps save you learning time because there's a lot you could pick up but is it relevant to you um so looking looking at that there's certainly lots of case studies and there's some great um networks around the world around innovation um i I personally am more interested in the community-led ones than the kind of big corporate prize fund ones and so um there was a i don't think it i'm not sure it exists now but um global social enterprise network was a really interesting one um agunte um they, they they did work with women all over the world is an interesting one. So Pioneers Post um, is a magazine that's produced here in the UK, but they've got a global interest and they have uh, put a lens on how social enterprise works in different parts of the world. The British Council work in all sorts of countries all over the world for their British Council stuff and learning and education and building relationships for all sorts of industries, but they have a very strong um, understanding of social enterprise and building movements. And so there's there's some really good existing practice and networks that people can um, go and look up uh, to see could they get help from these places and how might, you know, how might I learn from them? So th- those would be my tips. I don't know if they're, <laughs> they're quite the right tips, but... No, that's those are your tips. So those they're right for you. So that's that's fine. And I think it's interesting. You're like grow local. Look at your look. Look to your local environment rather than look to, uh, you know, uh, maybe markets which may not be the, quite at the same life stage, uh, as as those markets. So that's interesting. I think so. I think there's certainly more we need to do to connect as as women globally, and and every on a level rather than on this developed world, developing world. I think the way the developed, developing, the philanthropic model 
is how women's organisations have been supported, in my view, or the women in tech world. And they're both, um, there's a there's definitely a gap to just have, um, and I would say this, you know, women or social entrepreneurs um, to come together to learn from each other uh, without being put through a lens of um, philanthropy or tech or urban versus rural or um developing world versus developed world i think if we if if we could look at each other as a you know we've all got assets and we've all got learning and we've all got knowledge to bring to the table there's no um i think i think uh, you know it w- creating space to have conversations from that starting point would really really um help us um share knowledge learn more and create some collaborative partnerships where new work can happen very interesting how can interested people reach out to you and learn more so if people want to get in contact with uh, flourish together or me um, i'm very active on twitter so i'm at nikaela5 n-i-c-k-a-l-a at nikaela and the number five we're at flourish c-i-c that's the easiest way we have a website flourishtogether.org.uk we actually have our own podcast series, um, which is hosted on our audio boom and or put out through various channels. And so that's the Women um, Supporting Social Enterprise podcast. Uh, we're not as prolific as you. I think we've only done about 12 and one kind of series and we're looking into our next approach. But um, we've got lots of stories and tips and the focus on that has been less about journeys of individuals and more about um knowledge sharing on how to get ahead in social enterprise but those are some of the the best ways to get in touch we have a facebook group and things like that as well but um people are probably best around through the website and through twitter and through through our podcasts thanks for that Nicola. i'll be adding your website to the show notes as well an opportunity for you to talk about anything that you we i didn't get a chance to ask i tell you what i'll mention so some something new for us that's come about in the last year or so is the how-to festival and i'd i'd invite your listeners um, and i'd invite you um to perhaps get involved in the how-to festival and um, if we can share that in the in the show notes it'd be worth people finding out about the how-to festival is kind of what it says is how to do all sorts of things what we realized because we've worked with hundreds of women change makers and and guys as well um, and so many of them are so knowledgeable they know what they don't know isn't worth knowing (laughs) um and also it's across different streams this this festival it's um looks it's got a creative and digital zone it's got a social enterprise support zone and it's got a health and well-being zone so we've tried to pull on the strengths of our network and, and what they know and what they can share tips and information on. And there's little bite-sized learning, basically. And so if people have got how-to sessions they might want to run, they could come and share those with us. Um, or um, there's going to be, there's already about 20 um, little mini webinars in there. And then they're, they're, we're hoping there'll be about at least 50 plus by the end of the year um so that that's probably something that if you know people are using digital tools and, and like these sort of remote ways of linking to people and learning um, then the how-to festival might be something that, that they want to warm to and ultimately we're, we're trying to showcase talent you know ta- grassroots talent individuals that you wouldn't otherwise hear about and help amplify their their businesses their social change causes their um the the information that they want the you know they want to get out there and want to share that sounds fascinating when is the how to festival it's it's running now so um people can um 
look at the the website howtofestival.org.uk and um they can see how to sign up and get involved in that and there's sections on how to create your own little how-to session or people can just um, register and, and, and get involved with that lovely thank you for that i'm going to now give you uh, talk to you about signature questions which i ask all my guests so the first one is what do you love the most about manchester the people i think you know it's a, it can be a pretty gray it can be a pretty uh, drab looking place sometimes but uh, the people are the best thing about manchester um, the diversity of the people you know um we've got the 10 boroughs there's so much um they're so different um and yeah I, I, the people drilling through <laughs> and where's your favorite place in manchester we've ended up so one of my favorite places is um the resonance center it's it's a, it's a place that only opened in the last couple of years it used to be a kitchen and bathroom company um the woman that set it up did all these kitchens and bathrooms with her colleagues and, and a business partner, uh, Ralph and others for years. And they they had an epiphany and decided that they were done with kitchens and bathrooms and they wanted to give this old schoolhouse, which is what it was once upon a time, back for community use. And they stopped the kitchen business and they now run yoga and well-being and community activities. And it's, it's in North Manchester. It's in an area that's needing quite a bit of regeneration Um and it's like a little oasis and a bit of bliss <laughs> in the middle of um, in the middle of North Manchester. So I, that's currently my favourite place. Um, but where else? I've, I've, you know, another place that I love in Manchester that where people would know uh, I get down to quite a lot is is Levenshulme and Levenshulme Market. Levenshulme's well worth um, looking up. And the people who run Levenshulme Market and lots of the traders there, it's uh, it was the first social enterprise market you know, in and around Manchester. I think there's a couple of others popped up, but um, it's Levenshu Market CIC. So they're not they're a community interest company. And I've done a lot of work to help them right at the start, find the money to get started, then get some more money to evolve what they were doing. And then they kindly invited me back years later to do their social value report five years on. And it was very cathartic to see, you know, what you've spent time and supported the initial team to get moving and the change that it made and, and what it's still doing now and um there's it's great there's great food and drinks and, and and various social and ethical traders in that market that, that you don't see in other markets and um I'd love to talk I'd love to talk to them and other people that you can connect me to but we can chat after. What's the most important life lesson you've learned? I don't like saying it out loud because it sounds really airy fairy, but um, sometimes there's a you know that, that whether people believe this or not, there's there's a there's an element of a path that's predetermined for you, and I think you know given <laughs> I was going to say give in to the universe or give in to the ether, you know if 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 things aren't working or you're banging your head against a wall, something's not there's not a good fit there, there's not a good match. It might be to do with the people around you, it might be to do with negative energy, you might it might be to do with you just the skill and the will of what you're trying to do at that time is not right. And so, um, like I said earlier, you know, going where the wind takes you. Um, and definitely a few times in my life, I've, I, I sometimes say, you know, I'm going to go like Mary Poppins and go where the wind takes me. That's, you know, that usually lands me in the, the safest and best place. And I'm, you know, that's not for everybody. You know, you, you can't be like that and you can't live like that if 
you're not prepared to take risks and you need to know where everything works works out but trust you know trust yourself trust the universe <laughs> and trust um the direction of the journey that you're on and um you, you it, it for me anyway life unfolds and um i although i've been very good at ignoring my intuition on a couple of things over the years and sometimes those alarm bells are ringing that loud i couldn't even hear them <laughs> actually if you if you can find a way to um trust yourself and trust in the path that's unfolding um then things usually work out like that very much and i think i can relate a lot to what you're saying uh, i believe also universe is listening so give it what give it your wishes and give it a chance to help you <laughs> mary poppins click 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 and let your off we go <laughs> that is interesting if someone wrote a book on your life what would they title it and the the first thing you know I remember, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's probably, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I know that's probably a Bon Jovi song or somebody else can but sleep when I'm dead. I, I don't, I'm, I wish, you know, I'd, I'd crack that nut and I was a little bit more relaxed and I treated myself to a little bit more, you know, self-care and put myself first and my own dreams and ideals. I think because my passion and mission for social change is so aligned to who I am and how I am, um, it can be all encompassing. Um, and I think lots of people find that when they work in this sector and, you know, you hit, you hit 40 or you hit whatever age you hit and you think, oh, I haven't yet gone, oh, there must be more to life than this. Cause I just, I do love what I do and I can see I'm going to keep enjoying it for years to come. But there is a little niggle. <laughs> There's a little niggle in the corner of my mind that is definitely making me aware of um, new, new ways of being a new, a new, path and a new style of life that I've got to explore um yeah because you never know the minute and I think yeah being able to have a bit more you know work-life balance is something that's been on my radar for a while now so yes I'll be looking out for your future podcasts on, on work-life balance that is interesting and that's something that I think I, I struggle with myself but again uh this, this has been really interesting for me. And uh, Nikela, I'm at the end of my questions. So if you're okay, we could say thank you to each other. Perfect. And it, you know, it's been an honor to be invited. I'm glad those links came through, I think, through our Facebook group to, to kind of uh, kick the, kickstart this. I'm sorry it's taken a little while to get it together, but we got there in the end and uh, look forward to hearing the results and uh, seeing uh, what people make of, of, of what they're hearing. And I will definitely make the time to go and have a listen to some of your wider Meet the Mancunian podcast. I think it's a great concept. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I hope to support Flourish Together in yeah, whatever they're do. doing as well. Yeah, there was definitely lots of opportunities there, so we'll be in touch for sure. I really enjoyed learning about supporting women changemakers today. Thank you so much for listening to the fifth episode of the Meet the Mancunian podcast, Season 3. I know many of you are listening in from different parts of the world or across the UK. I hope this episode and the podcast itself motivates you to follow your dreams and passions, inspired by the amazing Mancunian guests featured here. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Next week, the Meet the Mancunian talks to Nick Pimlet, who is focused on men's mental health. Tune in on Tuesday, 30th August 2022 to hear the next episode.
please do consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. I would also be grateful if you could share this podcast with a friend or a family member. Thank you so much.